You are listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's May 1st. Chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine have been discussed as potential therapies to treat COVID-19, despite the fact that there's no definitive evidence that they would be effective. And unfortunately, the discussion of these drugs alone has had some serious unintended consequences. First, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine are now less available to use as proven treatments for other serious illnesses and conditions. These drugs are used to treat malaria, for example, which kills a thousand people every day in Africa. They're also FDA-approved treatment options for the millions of Americans who suffer from lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. As soon as these drugs were promoted as possible treatments for COVID-19, U.S. hospital orders skyrocketed. This has led to a nationwide shortage here in the U.S. and to stockpiling of the drugs elsewhere, namely in African countries where, again, the drugs are badly needed to treat malaria. A second unintended consequence is that unparalleled demand for chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine in Africa will likely fuel the already rampant counterfeit anti-malarial drug market there. Criminals will try to take advantage of this situation. And third, discussing these drugs as a treatment for COVID-19 without evidence has worsened trade tensions, which were already high before the pandemic struck. Rand experts say there are opportunities to address these issues. For one, continuing to adhere to the CDC's COVID-19 prevention guidelines is critical. This will help reduce the number of overall cases and therefore the demand for any kind of treatment. Scientists can also continue to educate the public about the use and abuse of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. It's important to communicate that there is great risk to those who use these drugs without understanding the potential side effects. And if these drugs do end up being proven safe and effective for COVID-19 treatment, then the FDA prescription guidelines for their different uses could be critical. It's also important to ensure a stable supply of these drugs from verified sources to ensure that they're available for their intended purposes. If we don't stay vigilant, then the outcomes could be tragic, experts warn. Imagine if, under the pretext of saving lives from COVID-19, The world loses lives to other diseases that have proven treatment options. In the largest decline since the 2008 financial crisis, the U.S. economy fell by 4.8% in the first quarter of this year. And this isn't the only evidence to suggest that the U.S. will experience a prolonged recession as a result of COVID-19. According to RAND experts, negative consumer sentiment is another troubling sign. That's because how much Americans spend on goods and services, from food and cars to haircuts and tax preparation, is a huge part of the economy. It's what economists call household consumption. Here's Rand economist Catherine Edwards. A big concern among a lot of Americans is that the social and health actions we're taking to prevent the spread of the pandemic might cause a recession. The economy is not a vague concept. It doesn't mean different things to different people. It doesn't depend on how you look at it. It is an accounting of the size of spending and consumption in the United States. 
It has four parts. The consumption of U.S. households, the consumption and spending of the government, the capital investment of businesses, and net exports. Of these four, the largest one by far is household expenditures and consumption. It counts for about 70% of our economy. So if you consider that many Americans sheltering in place, if that many households reduce their consumption, it's likely the case that we're already in a recession. While it's possible that consumers could snap right back to their former habits after the pandemic, it's also possible that they will take a long time to return to their former spending habits. And if that happens, then the economic effects of COVID-19 could take years to shake. Many small businesses that can't meet their payroll due to COVID-19 are eligible for federal aid, but household employers are excluded. This affects hundreds of thousands of nannies, housekeepers, and others who are employed in private homes. According to RAND experts, there are two main issues. First, many household employers may have laid off their employees during the crisis, either because they no longer need their services or because they're concerned about the risk of virus transmission. And while these workers would likely qualify for unemployment insurance, their claims would increase the burden on state unemployment systems, which are already struggling to keep up. The second challenge is that some household employees, particularly childcare workers and health workers who have been deemed essential in many states, may feel the need to continue to work to make ends meet, potentially increasing the risk of virus transmission. What more could the government do to help? Policymakers could consider making direct payments to household employers who keep paying their employees. This could reduce the number of workers who have to join the unemployment rolls or who feel compelled to work during the crisis. In Egypt, young women face persistent barriers to securing employment, as well as substantial inequalities when it comes to earnings. And there are far more young women than young men who are not employed or not receiving any education or training. It's likely that COVID-19 will only worsen these challenges. So what policies could help economically empower Egyptian women? A new RAND report outlines a number of recommendations, including expanding high-quality early childhood education and subsidizing childcare, for which women in Egypt bear most of the responsibility providing transportation options to ensure that women have a safe, reliable means of getting to work, reforming laws to address gender discrimination, mobility restrictions, and sexual harassment, and investing in infrastructure to improve and expand access to electricity and broadband internet. Without implementing policies like these, Egyptian women's vastly disproportionate struggles to contribute economically will continue. This won't just limit the women themselves. It will also seriously impede Egypt's overall economic outlook. Rumors are swirling that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is seriously ill, leaving many to ask who might succeed him. But this isn't the most important question, says Rand Soo Kim. What matters more is what the new regime does to establish legitimacy and how the U.S. and its allies respond. If the next North Korean leader stays on the course of nuclear blackmail and extortion, then the U.S. could consider a policy that ignores Pyongyang's provocations. This may not be what North Korea expects, 
because nuclear threats and harsh rhetoric have typically elicited a response from Washington. Rand Soo Kim also points out that new North Korean leadership may tempt the U.S. to reset relations on a path toward normalization. But it's important to remember that there are hazards to even exchanging pleasantries with any successors, she says. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week. <laughs>